Empress Eve is here today. Tell you what she's got to say. Empress Eve is here today. Hello, good people. It is I, the Virgin Empress, Empress Eve, back again with another show of the Heart Talks, where I speak with people that I believe would uplift, inform, and inspire you on your journey. And today I have a most amazing, inspirational young lady. Her name is Gemma Lonsdale, and she is a two-time breast cancer survivor a clairvoyant life coach, an NLP practitioner, a speaker, founder of guidinglight.guru, which is her website, and she also hosts the Happy Psychic Podcast. Hello, Gemma. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. Hi. It's an absolute pleasure. Gemma's got a lovely <laughs> accent. Where's the accent from, Gemma? Um, it's from Northern Ireland. Oh, nice. Very yeah. sexy. Thank you. But I think, you know, I've, I've been in England now for like 16 years coming up and I ah. don't seem to have lost the accent. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, there's a, there's a refinement there going on. I can hear it. You're probably considered posh back where you came from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do, they say that I sound posh. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get into your background now. Tell me a little bit about your childhood. How many children were there? What was well, your in the family? Okay, so I, like I was the oldest child. I was the oldest child, the first grandchild. So as you can imagine, I was the favourite. Um, and <laughs> But I do have a brother, um, but he didn't come along until I was just about to turn 10. So I was an only child for the majority of my childhood. Did you hate um, him? And, no, I didn't actually. I didn't. You know what I hated? I hated having to babysit. Absolutely. <laughs> By the time I was old enough to babysit, I was wanting to go out with my friends and, you know, building a social life. And I didn't want to babysit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he was he was lovely. Very, very good boy. Well, I hear you say that because there's an eight year gap between my youngest and my oldest and my eldest hated babysitting. He really, yeah. really wasn't. I think he's still traumatized by it now, and he's thirty-four. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, were you a happy child? I was. Yeah, I was very. Um, I would say I was a very sensitive child, quite quiet, mm-hmm. um, but very sensitive. And you know, if if somebody would have shouted at me for anything, I would have cried and. Um, but yeah, I had like a really happy, a very, very happy childhood. Mm-hmm. And were you a rule follower or a rule breaker? I was a rule follower. The rule breaking didn't really come until I was a wee bit older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but whenever, whenever I was a young child, like I was definitely a rule follower. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, that's an interesting story then because how you ended up and where you are now. <laughs> you have gone through an awful lot, I have to say. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I um, I I started like I think my my mum, me and my mum actually have had a bit of a um 
a strenuous relationship, I would say, for the most of my sort of teenage years. Mm. Um, and she would have been quite strict and quite conservative, whereas I was obviously pushing the boundaries and starting to like rebel a little bit and try and find my like identity. So that was probably whenever the rule breaking started to come out of me a little bit more. <laughs> the reason I ask is because I have this theory that people, even when they're not, and from what you're saying, you were more conformist when you were younger. Yeah. Um, that even if they were like that, they were questioners, you know, they were challengers. Yeah. They looked at life and said, who said it's meant to be this way? So I was yeah. wondering if there was any of that energy in you before your team. Yeah, definitely. Even as a child, like I can remember having a conversation with my aunt and, you know, I think we were actually talking about religion and I was asking her if she believed in God. And it was at the stage where I was starting. And I think I was probably only about eight, eight years old, maybe nine years old. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious as to, well, how does it all work? I'm not really sure. Well, you know, I, I suppose I was starting to form my own beliefs on things, but I was very, I was always very, very inquisitive as a child. Like you couldn't have just um, handed me something and told me a story and then I would have just sucked it up. I always was a bit like, mm, I, I want to know a bit more about that and mm-hmm. press back and ask questions on things. Um, and I think I was always keen to understand like the proof behind things. You know, I, I wanted proof. I wanted you know, I had a very logical mind and that has definitely like followed me into my adulthood without a doubt. Mm-hmm. That is evidence-based desire to know things. Yeah. You know, and, you know, like somebody, like, you know, in the workplace, you know, if somebody would say, well, this is how we do it. And I'd be like, mm-hmm. well, why? Why? Why mm-hmm. do we do it like that? <laughs> so you didn't get any pushback for that? Because I know a lot of people who are like that get a lot of pushback in the family. Yeah, quite a lot, I would have said, and especially from my mum, because she, because of how she was and her rigid sort of rule structure, um, it was very much her way or the highway. Mm. So that that definitely wasn't welcomed within the family. Um, and Is that a nice way know, of putting it was all yeah. hell broke out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it definitely wasn't, it wasn't welcomed. That was, yeah, that was definitely the PC way. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't welcomed in the family. And I think, um, you know, I, I'm one of these people, like, I think that you don't learn from someone else's mistakes. And like my my mom always would have said, you know, you're not going to make the same mistakes I did. You will learn from my mistakes. But that's that's not really possible, especially for somebody that's very, very inquisitive. You know, I'm, I'm that person that says, you know, if you tell me don't touch the red button, I'm like, but, well, I, I just I touch it. I just want to touch it and see what it does, you know, because I'm like then doubly like more curious. Um, and you know whenever you go through life and you're trying to find your own way and you're from a very very sheltered background which I was mm-hmm. um, it's, it starts to come across as that you don't have like common sense and things mm-hmm. like that because you're making mistakes and you're trying things that maybe mm-hmm. you 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 know adults would say well you shouldn't do that you should know not to do that but when you're from a very sheltered background where your decision making capability has been really restricted it's you know it's a massive learning curve and I think that you have to learn you know I think you have to make your own mistakes in order to learn but it's it's almost that you need to sorry I know I've sort of went off on a bit of a tangent no no don't say that this is exactly where you're meant to be going 
<laughs> so it's almost like you you need to learn how to make decisions you know if people need to be educated on how to make decisions and I don't think I really was I was just you know my, because my mom was the decision maker for me up until even I was like 17 18 you know it's a uh, it's you realize that actually you've never had to make a decision you've never been allowed to really make a decision for yourself so you don't know how you know you don't know how to make decisions so yeah you know what's funny for me? I'm literally here picturing your mom in a state of high stress and anxiety for yeah. 17 years. Like, where did I get this chance from? Why she has says God that she's, you know, she says I switched at first. She says that I was switched at first. She says I'm definitely not hers. There's like, so my my dad was in the uh, my dad was in the army, so I was born in Germany, and my mom says there's some German woman walking around with this little timid little you know blonde haired daughter um and she's convinced I'm not hers because <laughs> uh, I I really believe this you know if we're on this spiritual path and we are aware that we're born into families for purposes and from your uh, description of your mom her rigidity was being challenged mm-hmm. and questioned by life by spirit by God and mm-hmm. saying you might want to let go of that because look at mm-hmm. the conflict it's causing you Mm-hmm. And so we bring in our children, some of them in particular, to to wake us up a little bit, you know. So mm-hmm. I feel for her and I'm glad you were there too. And I, I still press her buttons today. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm 37 years of age and mm-hmm. I still probably press on her buttons every day. <laughs> That's right. That's how it should be. It's correct. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, on the yeah. spiritual path, it's a beautiful thing. You are yeah. her nemesis. And you're there to wake her up. And that's exactly (laughs) your role. It was beautiful. So Mm -hmm. what happened when you became a teenager? What was significant for you in terms of beginning to find out who Gemma was? Um, You know, I start, I'd never really done drugs or anything like that, but I did start to experiment a little bit in teenage drinking. I wanted to start going out. And, you know, I I developed like sexually at quite a young age. You know, I had, um, like I went through puberty. I think I had my, my first period when I was like, just about to turn 10 so I was very very young in terms of like developing as a as a child so I was coming into this womanhood with breasts Mm. and um you know as a really young teenager um and I think I was you know at the time no but obviously because I'm a boundary pusher (laughs) I remember I was very very curious about sex boys you know as as you start to you know get older and you have questions Mm -hmm. but my mum was very much like no that conversation is completely (laughs) off limits you know that's not and it's not even a conversation that we're having so I was like so what what is sex well you're not you're too young to know what sex is and I I already you know I already knew but I wanted to hear it from her like so I would have pushed and pushed and she says well whenever you have your period we can have that discussion but then no. by the time I had my period, it was like, no, you're too young. <laughs> you know what? Um, <laughs> I think somewhere in your psyche, you said, bring on my period because I want to know the answer to this question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's probably you on a full three years early. I did. I, ma- I manifested puberty. <laughs> I didn't even realize. <laughs> I'll get Girl. her. I'll show her. <laughs> oh, dear me. That is oh. hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, yeah definitely because you know boys probably were my downfall mm-hmm. I became very interested in boys and 
and boys were off limits as well mm. <laughs> you know and I think even when I was like 14 15 you know boys were still very like off limits you know dating wasn't really you know permitted by my mom and um I think I was just at that age where I, I wanted to figure out really who I was and it it's difficult, isn't it? Because you kind of, when you're that age, you think you know everything. Mm-hmm. You think that you're an adult. You have no idea, like, mm-hmm. at the limited knowledge that you actually have. And I really wanted to flex that knowledge that I thought I had mm-hmm. and become independent and be treated like an adult. And um, there was just that disparity between what my mum felt was acceptable and what I felt was acceptable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, developing those, like, friendships and you know relationships because you're trying to form I suppose your opinion of what an adult relationship might look like mm-hmm. when you're that age um so yeah that that boys and starting to develop a bit of an interest in partying probably was uh the downfall and just that that desire for like um independence mm-hmm. that thirst for like independence mm-hmm. definitely yeah, I hear that. I received that. This is an independent thinker, listeners. This woman was an independent <laughs> thinker from the time she came out of her mother's womb. And yep. it manifested in many, many ways. And when we could see, I feel like we'll see as it unfolds in her life that that is the thread. She's a truth seeker and she's an mm-hmm. independent being. And where did that independent spirit take you did you decide what career you wanted or was it thrust upon you or how did you know so I knew that I wanted to do something with my life now I had finished my A levels and I had got a job um working in a factory actually for the summer Mm. and my plan my plan was to go on to university now I hadn't really you know, I my mum had wanted me to go on and do computers, so I had applied to um to do software engineering, and that was my intention was to work in the factory for the summer, save up some money, buy a car for my independence, um, and then go to university. And really, the the big the big pull for university for me was the fact that I could get that independence by living away from home. Mm-hmm. That was the the key thing really that I was um looking to achieve rather than the degree and the career, mm-hmm. and. I remember I worked in the factory for the summer and my supervisor actually said to me, you know, we we are looking for somebody to work in the office. If you would be interested, it's a permanent position. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I could do this and I could defer my place at university for the year and I could like save up a bit more money, maybe even like move out, buy a house, whatever. Um, And I did that and then I never ever went to university. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the job that I was doing, like I've I've always had a very good work ethic. Hold on a minute. Um, wait, 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 hold up. How old were you? So I was I was eighteen. And you were thinking I could get a house and get married. Yeah, because because I not maybe not necessarily married, but I was thinking that probably if I met the right person, mm-hmm. I realize now at eighteen you wouldn't know what the right person looked like. But I, I think that I was probably thinking, well, it could be cheaper if I met somebody and we got married and they're like I got, got me away from my from my mum and got me my, like the independence that I was looking for um but really the the main thing for me was to get my independence that's what I wanted yes I hear that man I so really... so so as it happens I did meet somebody and I did buy a house with him when I was mm. 19 um, wow 
so that was very very young and again it's one of those things that you have to make the mistake you have to do it in order to learn from it and of course you know I was I was far too young for you know for that sort of commitment um this but, is juicy, Gemma, man. I want yeah. to know about this relationship. So what was you know, he, the energy? He was, now, looking back in hindsight, what was the independence? Yes, but there was a lesson in there. What was the lesson? Yeah, so he, he was lovely. He was a very, very lovely person. But I I got with him for the wrong reasons. Um, You know, I think that he was lovely. Um, But it was the you know, the idea of being able to like buy a house and everything and have like a nice life and get the independence and you, you know what the big he thing. was boring. Was that what you're trying to tell me? Um but he was a wee bit boring. He was <laughs> I'd be a room. <laughs> he was a wee bit boring. And you know there just there wasn't the chemistry there that uh, I realized that I would want in an adult relationship. But you know, you know what I actually part of a big part of me and I've actually carried this through a large part of my adult life as well was that I wanted to prove to my mum mm-hmm. that I was like capable that I could have the nice home that I could have a job that I could you know have a nice man have a nice life and it was those sorts of mistakes that she really had always wanted to avoid me making as well because she had made the same ones um, and it ended up just like history repeating itself in a way mm-hmm. Um, but a, a lot of a lot of my life has been around that need for validation from my like from my mum because I never felt good enough because whenever I made any decisions or mistakes, you know, they always were like a, a red light sort of highlighted above my head. But a lot of a lot of the decisions that I've made and including that one would have been partially fueled by you know, that need to try and prove something to my mum. You know what's happening right now? Because since we've been chatting in the first three minutes, let me tell you, number one, my head is vibrating at levels. I, oh, Lord, I'm in another spiritual folk. Oh. Oh, there's so much energy here. Uh, my poor head is going, jajang, oh. I'm like, all right, cool. I can talk to her, man. Just give me a break. So yeah, <laughs> this is amazing. So the it just really intensified a moment ago because what I want to pull out is, listen, people, listen, listeners, listen. This is a, the most beautiful, wonderful demonstration. If you are on a spiritual journey or you're just becoming more self-aware in your life, listen to this. This amazing being, Gemma. What's your mom's name? Marie. Marie. This amazing being, Gemma, has come into the world as this catalyst for this wonderful being called Marie, who is locked in to a way of thinking that is really not serving her. And she is an independent, just like Gemma. She's a straight thinker, independent being, just like Gemma. And she made mistakes and she has so much love, so much love for her daughter. I do not want you to experience what I experienced. I don't want you to go through it. I don't know how to tell you it in a way that would draw you closer to me. The only way I know how to tell you is to push you further away. And this immense love ironically becomes the driving force for Gemma to go off into the world and create a a life based on what she believes, how she can be independent. And 
mistakenly believing that it's because she doesn't have the love of her mother in the level she wants. And it's because her mother loves her too much. And she doesn't know how to show her, I do not want you to feel what I felt. I know what it feels like. She couldn't be vulnerable enough to open. And I even feel like I want to cry. She couldn't be vulnerable enough to open up and say, this is why I'm on you. I'm on you. I'm on you. Because I don't know how else to do it. And probably her mother was the same with her. I, I, was, just about to say, yeah. I was just about to say her mother was the exact same. Mm -hmm. Her mother was the exact same with her. Yeah. And isn't that like the most incredible spiritual lesson? And even meeting this lovely gentleman who I was a bit rude about. I don't mean it, young fella, my lad. I really just saying that Gemma knew it wasn't right, but it was, mm. it was the next logical step. And she needed to go through it. There are no mistakes. And this is what her mom needs to learn. There are no mistakes. You know what I mean? But I just felt so wonderfully juicy inside. I wanted to just highlight that what looks like our greatest burden and what looks like us not being loved and approved of is usually just one or the other in the situation, not realizing that the depth of love that they have for that person is distorting how they are sharing the message and they're ending up pushing that person away, but actually motivating them to become the person they are because that is what led you on your path to being successful in your mm -hmm. life, Gemma. So sorry to interrupt, but I was very, very excited. And what's your thoughts on that? I think you've actually absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. And it's taken me um, many, many years to figure that out. And you just got it in five minutes. <laughs> no, it's, it's important. You know, I love yeah. it. I, I love it. So you could move into this nice house. Was it a nice house? It was. It was a nice enough house. It was a starter home. Mm -hmm. um, but it was. It was a nice house. And, you know, we decorated it, you know, the way that we wanted to decorate it. And, um, you know, it was my my independence, you know, it was mm. it was good. And I can't, he was very, very good to me. Um, And I, to be honest, I didn't really probably treat him in the end the way that I should have. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was, I was dealing with the fact that I knew that I was unhappy and that this wasn't the right path for me to be on. And you sort of battle a little bit because you don't want to hurt someone else's feelings. Um, obviously we had the house and everything together I had nowhere to go I certainly was not going to back home to my mum mm -hmm. um, and I was just trying to figure out okay well what what happens like what do I what do I do it was a really really hard time because it was the first adult relationship that I had had mm -hmm. and it was failing and I you know I felt like a failure then mm -hmm. and it was you know, I think at that stage and that time in my life, I was more concerned about what other people would say and what other people mm. would think, um, as opposed to doing and, you know, making the right choice for me and for my partner at the time. Mm. Lovely, beautiful, beautiful self-awareness and transparency. And so did you eventually have the conversation? Yeah, we did. I think we'd been together for about three years at that point three maybe four years mm -hmm. and um yeah we you know we had the conversation and I um decided to move out and I actually moved in with my dad at mm -hmm. the time and I I uh I ended up I did get some money off um he bought me out of my share of the house mm -hmm. um and I 
was you know it was a big big transition period in my life because I wasn't really I wasn't happy in the job that I was doing either like I'd had the same job Mm -hmm. that I'd had from when I finished my A-levels you know I went into that factory in the summer and um, I'd taken the job that was in the office and I was still there and I wasn't really satisfied but I didn't really know I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life I just knew that I wanted something different Mm -hmm. and something better um but I didn't really know what that looked like um well I didn't know what it was but I had an idea of what it looked like you know I I I like to talk not that you would ever believe that I would not notice (laughs) neither do I I don't like talking (laughs) (laughs) but I I knew that I wanted to do something working with people I really liked people and I loved being able to talk and I was you know I I wanted to do something where I could speak to people more often as part of my role um and so I didn't really know exactly what my my dream job looked like or my career looked like but I just knew that I had to do something where I was uh, speaking to people and I can remember my um my grandma whenever I was younger she used to always say that I was going to end up with a job on the talking on the telephone because I talked mm-hmm. that much on the telephone <laughs> and she wasn't far wrong really so yeah so it was just at that period where I was just realizing okay the decisions that I've made haven't been the right ones I'm not really on the right path but I wasn't really sure what path I should be on and then what happened so I was living with my dad my parents had separated actually whenever I was 17 um so my dad was in obviously he'd moved out of the the marital home and everything and I'd moved in with him and I think I was 20 or 21 must have been 21 so I moved in with him and I was staying in his spare room and he was actually dating someone um they were in a long distance relationship and had been for a few years and she was from the northeast of England Mm -hmm. and she was actually over visiting one weekend and you know I wasn't really sure obviously what direction I was going in with life and she just suggested oh well why don't you move to England Mm. and you know and I was thinking at the time like that just is ridiculous I can't just move to England that's Mm. crazy um and so I completely dismissed it to be honest and Mm -hmm. I can remember it's obviously been mulled over in my head subconsciously without me realizing because I can remember brushing my teeth one morning I was getting ready for work and I brushed my teeth and I just thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I handed, I handed my notice into work that day. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always had like that very um, spontaneous, mm-hmm. like very go with my gut. I'm, I've always been very much a gut feel person mm-hmm. and it just felt right. And I thought, you know what, I've, what have I got to lose? So I did, I handed my notice into work that day. And I think I was only obligated to give one week's notice, but mm. I decided to offer them a month's notice. Mm, and nice. they, they said, you know what, it's absolutely fine. You know, stay as long as you need to until you get yourself sorted with your transition. If you change your mind, then, you know, you can retract it. And I then came home that day and I registered with a few temp. Um, well, I, I contacted a few temp, temping agencies in mm. England um, in Newcastle upon Tyne so I'd contacted a few of them and very few of them would speak to me until I'd actually moved here mm-hmm. and so what I decided to do was okay I'll go over one of them actually did say you know we're really you know we're, we're convinced we'd be able to get you some work 
um, you know, why don't you just move over? And I did, I, I organized to pack my car up and I brought my car over, um, dropped my car off, found somewhere to stay and um, registered actually with the agency. Very exciting, day. very brave. Yeah. Very brave, I don't know how I did it now looking mm-hmm. back. Um, and I think I flew, I then flew home and the agency um, ended up phoning me on the Monday. They said that they had something for me to start the following week. Wow. Um, and that was it. And I I basically had my bag with the last of my belongings. And I, I flew to England the following week. And then that was, uh, that was it. <laughs> the synchronicities abounded. Mm. Yeah. I was definitely meant to be here. Mm. I was definitely meant to be in England, without a doubt. Um. So, yeah, so I, I ended up moving across and I, I did some temp work and I'd always I'd always sort of worked in like administration, but I'm not really a detail person because mm-hmm. I like to talk. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a big, big picture person. So mm-hmm. sitting in front of a computer, typing and filing and things like that, it's really detail orientated and it wasn't really a good fit for me. But obviously I was I was doing some sort of long termish temp work. So mm-hmm. I had steady income, but obviously from dealing with the recruitment agency, I can just remember thinking to myself, like the recruitment consultant, I was thinking I could do her job. Mm-hmm. Like I could do her job. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what set me on the path that I'm on. And I decided I was going to be a recruiter. I wanted to be like a recruiter, mm-hmm. a headhunter. And I was one of the, um, obviously I didn't have a degree. So that was my first stumbling block because mm-hmm. a lot of recruitment companies have like graduate programs, but mm-hmm. I wasn't a graduate, but I um, got speaking to a national agency and they really liked the fact that I had just up sticks and moved. They mm-hmm. kind of liked that I had that courage. We're just going to take a quick ad break now. Hi, it's even more here with a new offering for you. A guided meditation, a series of three short meditations in one called Becoming Audio for the Soul that supports you to become more enlivened, awakened, aware of who you are at your root, at your core. Here's a little example from it here. Trust in what you know. Trust in what you feel. Feel your mind expanding. Expanding into greater awareness. If you're intrigued and it speaks to you, just go to youdeserveolifeyoulove.com and you'll see the link. Bye. And they decided to take a chance on me um, and they hired me on their graduate program. And I stayed with them for, I think, about five years, five and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of their top performers. So I got to do the job where I was talking to people all day. And it Wonderful. definitely was a really good fit for me. Can I ask you a question? Mm hmm. I believe that everything we do prepares us for the next thing. So mm-hmm. all the roles that you had prior to that job in recruitment, mm-hmm. what 
did they how did they prepare you for that role um prepare me to be able to talk to people like one of the things that I really learned there was how to conduct an interview with somebody mm. um how to strike up a cold conversation with somebody um being able to read between the lines with people and intuitively understand what mm. they weren't telling you mm-hmm. um so there was a lot of skills a lot of soft skills I really developed and tweaked whenever I was in that role mm-hmm. um and it's it's funny actually because I I can remember dragging my dad to church on a Sunday because like I I always wanted to get up in front of people and speak mm-hmm. like I I wanted to get up and do a reading on church on a Sunday you know at Sunday school if there was ever an opportunity to get up I was like hand up I want to do it um, at school and assemblies like I wanted to be able to get up in front of people but I I wasn't uh I wouldn't have said that I was an overly confident kid mm-hmm. um but I there was something in me that was determined to get up and do you know this speaking in front of people and so it was very much from an early from an early age like my soul obviously just knew you know mm-hmm. it's, it's the same case isn't it we, we don't all we don't always consciously know what our path is but our mm-hmm. soul knows mm-hmm. and it's trying to snatch at every opportunity it can for you to get the experience and the things that you need to have under your belt that's going to serve you later in life mm-hmm. it's so true this is really yeah. I I just love the the synchronicity and the difference between the people who end up living their purpose and the people who struggle to live their purpose yeah. is that they're weighed down by the arts and the shoulds and the yeah. I should please my parents and my family yeah. and my children and the ones who follow through even if they're scared are the ones who end up living their purpose and inspiring us so mm-hmm. that is a yeah. wonderful thing because one of, one of the things that I enjoyed most about working in recruitment was the um, being able to coach people through their interviews. So I did a lot of like career coaching. And then obviously, as I developed myself and became more mature and more experienced, I worked with like a lot of senior leaders as well, mm-hmm. who were maybe on the job search or who maybe had faced redundancy and who needed just some extra support and coaching mm. to help them build their confidence and understand their skill set in order to like find their path, you know, in, mm. you know, in their career moving forward. Um, and that, that was the bit that I had always really, really enjoyed about mm. my role. Love that. And that I know comes into play in what you do now, but you had a major life situation that arrived as when you had your first diagnosis of cancer right yeah so it was um it was in 2018 so just a little bit before I had my diagnosis so it was September 2018 and I um I was in the same position actually again relationship wise and Mm -hmm. I was married to a a wonderful man and our marriage just wasn't working and we had um a young daughter and it had been sort of going for quite some time. We tried to work at it. It just, it just wasn't really working. And in the September of 2018, we both decided, okay, I think it's, it's time now that we, we call it quits and go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. And I was moving out of his house because what I had done was I had rented out my house whenever we got together. Mm-hmm. I had rented my house out, kept it on, but rented it out and I had moved in with him. So I was in the process of moving out and it was a week after that that I actually was told that I probably had breast cancer. 
Um, I didn't receive the official diagnosis, I think, for another week or two after that. But they were pretty sure from looking at the scans and the mammogram that it was cancer. Um, but we had to just wait for the results of the biopsy. So I had just signed a lease because my my property that I owned was occupied. I'd just signed a lease to move into a, a house mm-hmm. beside my like my ex-husband so I could be close for my daughter's school. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was in this transition period. And I can just remember whenever I was having the biopsy and the nurse started, they hadn't said to me at that point that they thought it was cancer. They said they needed to do biopsies and the nurse um, started saying to me, oh, do you have like, you know, support at home and you get paid mm. sick? And I just started to cry mm. because I realized then that, oh, my gosh, this is serious. Like they think that this is cancer. So that was a really, really challenging period to go through. Um, really, really challenging period to go through. Mm-hmm. What kind of emotional trauma were you feeling at the time? Um, like I obviously had the breakdown of my marriage and I think I had been expecting that to come anyway. So I I was at this, I, I, I wasn't as involved emotionally as what I am now. I've done a lot of like healing and self-development in the last mm-hmm. few years, but at the time, I really just wanted to continue life as normal. So I had been excited, obviously, about, you know, the prospect of being on Tinder and dating and meeting new Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I had this cancer diagnosis. And whenever I find out, it's like, you know, you don't know how serious it is. Is it treatable? Has it spread? Am I going to die? I had just got, I was very, I would have been very, very materialistic at the time. And I was still at that stage where I was trying to prove my worth to my mother and prove to my mom that I had made it in life. And I had just taken delivery of my dream car, which was a BMW 3 Series. Mm -hmm. And I had just got a new new lease. And I had got that the day before I actually went to the hospital for the checkup. And I can remember, you know, the excitement that I'd had for months waiting on this car and then I had just found out that I probably had cancer and I just mm-hmm. sat in the car and I was just like, what on earth, what on earth am I doing with my mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. Like I have this car that I don't even know if I'm going to be alive at the end of the lease period. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make any difference to my life. It, it was mm-hmm. like, just, I, I, I can't even, I can't even put it into words the starkness of that yeah it's just like you know nothing nothing mattered the things Mm -hmm. that I thought mattered Mm -hmm. just no longer mattered you know the nice car the house that I had you know the money in the bank nothing mattered because Mm -hmm. I just was suddenly faced with my own mortality you know mortality yeah Mm -hmm. I hope this isn't a a wrong question to ask but prior to the cancer and even your husband but generally how were you feeling were you dissatisfied prior to that I yeah I I was I like I wasn't really happy in life Mm -hmm. and I'll be honest like I wasn't liking the person that I was becoming Mm -hmm. um I had like I had a really good career in um, sales like I had had my own recruitment company for a few years um and then I actually sort of shut up shop and actually went to work for a big software company 
um, over in Germany and I was earning a lot of money. I was traveling all over Europe. Um, and, you know, really my, my life was made, but the money and the status and everything else was probably going to my head. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, I didn't really like the person that I was becoming at all. Mm-hmm. And I was, I would say I was probably deeply unsatisfied with life. Mm-hmm. Um and trying to mask that with the material things that you have in life, mm-hmm. yeah. And is it, no is it almost like you had an inner voice saying, "Show me, just show me, it's not this," but you couldn't yeah. quite. But I just couldn't quite figure. I just couldn't quite figure out what it was. But I knew mm-hmm. that I wasn't happy. And I, you know, you kind of think, "Oh well, if I buy." a newer car or a better mm-hmm. phone or mm-hmm. that expensive mm-hmm. bottle of perfume or I book that holiday then that will satisfy me mm-hmm. but it, it does you know it does for that brief period but it's, yes. it does it doesn't last like it's, nice things are nice there's no we're yeah. not pretending they're not nice but if they're your be all and end all then they're gonna leave yeah. you empty yeah but I was I was just I, I, I was just empty like my soul was empty mm-hmm. my soul was really really empty and I just couldn't figure out what it was that was going to make me happy I actually didn't know what what would make me happy and I, you know so I, I ended up on this massive soul searching episode and I just I can remember that I had a few weeks where I can remember I just sat and cried and asking myself all of those questions like the why am I here like what, why why have I ended up in this position that I'm in why did my relationships not work out? You know, I was obviously making the same mistakes. I got to a certain point in a relationship and then realized, oh, no, they're not for me. Mm-hmm. So why am I making, you know, why am I making those same decisions? Why am I mm-hmm. not learning from them? Because the common denominator in it all was me, mm-hmm. you know, like it was all centered around me. So I knew that it was obviously something that I was doing or wasn't doing. You know, I had got to a stage in life where my jobs just weren't fulfilling me. And I had um, sort of had a few changes of jobs because I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm not happy. So I'll get a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have the same thing in the next job. So I'm like, well, what, what is it? Why am I, why what am I, I seeking, not there? Really? Yes. yes, yes. And, and I really had to, like, it was very, very hard to go through. Were you getting any whispers at this point? Intuitive whispers mm-hmm. or no? So the first the first time so I went for a Reiki healing session Mm. and I can remember um it released a lot of emotion for me Mm. it was an awful lot of emotion and I had just had my um, operation so I'd had my operation from my cancer and I'd had a lumpectomy Mm. but it I should have healed within two to three weeks Mm. but for whatever reason it took like it took it was nearly six months before I healed wow. so because I because I wasn't healing I was thinking okay I need to look at different things here and one of them a friend of mine had been to see this this woman that does energy healing mm-hmm. and I actually went along and I had a session with her and on the way home I remember I had cried and cried I had just this it was this release of emotion mm. um and on the way home for some reason it came into my head life coaching mm. just just that just that little thought and I was like okay yeah I can see I can understand w- why I would be good at that and why that would be a logical mm. step for me mm. um 
and I sort of thought it over and I mulled it over but at that time I was still sort of clinging on to my life with my fingertips mm-hmm. and I was like well you know yeah like you know that would be nice you know I can understand how it would be really fulfilling but I'll lose my stuff because I'll have that transition so I'll have to give up the car and I didn't really want to I wasn't ready to let the BMW go at that point mm-hmm. and I just was sort of still clinging on to my stuff basically yeah Yeah. and I thought well no I can make it work because you know I know I'm not enjoying my job but it's really good money I'm well paid you know I'll continue to hold on to this Mm -hmm. um and of course that that lasted for a few months until I got to the point where I just thought this is just not going to work and I had um I'd obviously been through a big big trauma I'd had I'd had my cancer the shock of that Mm -hmm. and I had really brushed everything under the carpet you know I continued to work throughout Mm -hmm. my cancer now I didn't have chemo I had four weeks of radiotherapy but I had still worked for the first two weeks of that Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only it was two weeks in and I just got up one day and I was just like I can't do this I was so exhausted like I know You're it's stubborn. not as and as chemo I am that's what stubborn. you are and I I just didn't want my life to change I mm-hmm. didn't really want to accept that I had cancer to be mm-hmm. honest I like so I was brushing a lot of things under the carpet I burying emotions not processing stuff I was dating a lot mm-hmm. which I later With realized dating as I well. was yeah wow. I was dating but that was a distraction for me mm-hmm. um and I obviously wouldn't dream of doing that now but at the time mm-hmm. because I wasn't processing I'm not judging I, you at all yeah, I'm just like wow you really yeah, were going for I it. <laughs> I just was refusing to accept that I couldn't have the life that I had wanted mm-hmm. to have but really what I was doing was distracting myself I hadn't really got used to being alone either. You know, I'd just come out of, I'd always been in relationship after relationship and I'd never actually had any time properly alone. Um, And I wasn't quite ready to face that. I thought I was doing great. You know, oh, it's life is normal. I'm still working, I'm dating. Um, But really what it was just, it was just a disaster waiting to happen. And I could only sustain that for so long until the cracks started appearing. And my um, my boss, actually, at the time, he was a very, very understanding man, very conscious himself, you know, very awake. And uh, and I I just said, like, I I'm not I'm not happy and I just don't know why I'm not happy. But I have realized that my life is not working for me at the minute and he was very very supportive um and we decided that it probably just was a good time for us to part company and I had I had I had moved by that point I had moved back into the property that I had owned and so I was in a different time so I I just wanted an easier like an easier life really I still at that point wasn't quite ready to make the transition to life coaching, mm-hmm. but I was going through the soul searching and I was doing like the emotional work. Part. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, so I was going through all of that and that's actually whenever I first came to spiritualism as well. Mm. Um, I've, I've always had like a, 
bit of a soft spot for spirituality mm-hmm. throughout my life and even like as a, as a teenager I'd sort of had this intrigue with divination and tarot cards and things like that but I'd never mm-hmm. really fully embraced anything and I had actually been told it was about seven and a half years ago now I had went to see a clairvoyant mm-hmm. and it was the very first time that I had ever went to see someone Mm-hmm. And she said to me that I was clairvoyant, but I just hadn't tapped into it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, don't be so ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. if I was seeing dead people, I would know. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I just, so I had completely dismissed that. Um, and it was whenever I was at my depths of despair and doing the soul searching that I had, you know, a spiritual awakening and started to become very very aware of mm-hmm. like the world that I'm living in and that's actually how I ended up developing then as a as a clairvoyant mm-hmm. amazing you have to be brought to your knees you know uh, <laughs> you are one of stubborn well, independent thinker I, <laughs> has to be brought to her knees before she goes okay yeah very, I very very much so like and like the honestly like the universe really had to shake me and really send me some disasters before before it happened but it did eventually happen and it's you know as hard as it was like it was you know the hardest period in my life that first diagnosis but it was really the the best period in my life because it has got me to where I am today terrifying what you're you're describing is absolutely terrifying devastating life-changing, mind-opening, heart-opening, spiritually developing amazingness is what you're... Yeah. And like, and I, I think, like, cancer for me is actually one of the biggest lessons I've had in my life mm. um, because it has given me the opportunity. It has opened my eyes to the life that I should have been leading and the life that right. I could lead. Um, right. And... You know, I have learned so much through like my battle with cancer that I I wouldn't change it for the world. I definitely wouldn't. And I am so blessed that I was given a second chance and that mm. I am alive and that I will hopefully go on to live a long and happy life. You know, when I think of the amount of people that, you know, receive a diagnosis that doesn't have such a positive prognosis, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it basically was enough to shake me out of my you know, my sleep state mm-hmm. and give me the motivation to actually make the changes in my life that I needed to make. No, that's wonderful. And I truly, truly believe that if you're going through that level of trauma as Gemma has gone through, it's because you're meant to, um, well, part of it is your journey, but the other part is it allows you to relate to so many other people and people who are either going to go through the same thing or are still in it and stuck in it and allows her to help them at deeper and deeper levels. So there's blessings upon blessings within that mm-hmm. deep trauma. And I can see now that what you offer on your site is a range of things. So you do things for individual coaching and you also offer services for employers. So tell us yeah. about that. Yeah, so I work with um I work with individuals. So obviously, you know, individual people will come along thinking, you know, they're and maybe it's a bit like me where they're unhappy mm-hmm. but they don't quite know what path they need to take but they know mm-hmm. that they need to make a change and I work with them to help them understand 
what their path is but I, I connected very much in with spirituality you know mm. and you know, we, we all have a path whenever we come here I don't know what your views are but whenever we come here I feel that we we come here for a purpose and we have like life you haven't figured it out yet Gemma. yeah <laughs> I think you know so, I'm on that path <laughs> so um and so I, I help people figure out what is going to set their world on fire what is going to fulfill their soul and I help them make the changes that they need to make in order to actually achieve that and to lead a really fulfilling life. You know, we, we shouldn't be all humdrum. We should be here with passion and fire in our belly and loving every day. Um, and then I, I also offer, uh, an off, I offer something to employers as well. So one of them is where um, I can go in and actually help them help their workforce live a more balanced fulfilling life and be happier in the workplace and also happier in their their home lives and their you know their social lives and just try and bring a bit of spirituality into the workplace mindfulness meditation things like that and I also help companies who are going through like transition periods and want to offer more support to their employees who like COVID has been a massive massive thing for um, people and it has really impacted their home lives a lot and when you add on to that people that would have been going through divorces or grieving the loss of a loved one um, and all sorts of other trauma on top of being locked in a house because of a pandemic having to work look after kids so I provide like a service for them where they can provide coaching and um, you know support for their employees and then I, I also do um, group coaching as well. So if I, I, I list like some programs, I haven't got anything listed at the minute because I'm just starting to get back into the group stuff. But um, I see for, you offer a couple people. of days retreats as well. Yeah. So I was planning actually on doing a retreat in September, mm -hmm. um, but I'm not quite sure if the date is going to be able to go ahead or not. Just it depends mm -hmm. on the COVID restrictions. Um, but again, it's just an opportunity for people to come along and give themselves, I, I suppose the best way to describe it is that I hold space for them to allow them to heal mm -hmm. and we'll go through some coaching stuff. We do some different like healing modalities, like energy healing, crystals, mm -hmm. maybe like a gong bath. You're um, a Reiki practitioner so do, as well. Now, yes, no? I'm a Reiki practitioner. So I do. Um, I do energy healing as well with people um, and then I also do readings for people mm. like psychic and mediumship readings Excellent. but my my clairvoyance really comes into play most powerfully whenever I'm working directly with people even in the coaching environment because mm -hmm. I can see things and like my guides will tell me things mm. about that person like their blocks what's holding them back what their mm. fears are so I'm like the coach that you can't hide from because you can try and tell me that you're putting your heart and soul into it or that you're not, you know, some people have a pride issue where they think, well, I don't really want to say that I'm lacking in self-confidence, but anything like that that you don't say, I know anyway, so I can help them without them having to tell me what their issues are. That is a huge gift to be giving and you'd be attracting people who, who need that who need that insight yeah. that awareness to your work yeah definitely yeah you've been on quite a transformation young lady massive transformation massive but I, I wouldn't change it for the world no 
No, and she, we never really got around her. She went to coaching, I mean, a cancer diagnosis for a second time. So I did. <laughs> we are not talking yeah. about someone taking things lightly. Um, like... So I know it was actually just coming up to Christmas um, there last year in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was so convinced, you know, that I was perfectly fine. And I had my annual mammogram and I was really, really shocked that they had actually found um, something on there of concern. So I had to go for, um, for the biopsy. And then it was confirmed that, yes, my cancer had returned. It was in the same breast. And I've actually just had a mastectomy. So I had a mastectomy to the, the breast that I had the lumpectomy to in the first instance. Now they have put a, an implant in there to sort of build that out into a, into a real breast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've obviously had to go through that again. And that, you know, that has been, a, I think you have the body image thing then that comes into play even more so because you're losing a, a breast. And I'm obviously 37 years old. I was very, very much into Tinder at one point. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm single. So I throws more challenges really in, in the works, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to your life and your, you know, where you thought that your life might be headed um but at the same time it's helped me love myself a lot more mm. you know I I thought at one point that self-love was you know running a bubble bath and having a bar of chocolate mm-hmm. but self-love is so much more it's about like what you put into your body mm. how you talk to yourself mm. how you treat yourself and you know cancer has really taught me the importance and the true meaning of self-love um, and then whenever I had to overcome the issue with obviously losing my breast, you know, you have that. It's just that overcoming that the physical changes that you're going to go through, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you have surgery and everything to overcome, but you then have the physical changes and how, you know, how are your breasts going to look? How are they going to look under clothes? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's going to be like a difference in the symmetry of your breasts and just being, mm-hmm. you know, becoming comfortable in your new body and like I have no sensation now in my left breast Mm -hmm. but that's fine I I think well it's fine but you know that there definitely has been some challenges to you know to overcome there I tell you what listeners if you were going to work with somebody on your challenges on your traumas on your I'm not sure what I'm here for you want somebody who's walked through the fire not somebody who walked past it, walked around it, looked at it and said, oh, there, there's a fire. You want somebody who's been in the fire, walked through it, walking their talk, living their truth. And my dear, if you don't find Gemma to be that person, then I don't think you've been listening at all because she's not here just giving us platitudes right now. She is somebody who's in the midst of healing and still stays strong in her truth, centered in her being. And, and really strong in her faith and her awareness. And we know that she has had a hard ride to be this person. We know we hear it. But we can also hear the deep, deep authenticity and the spiritual power that flows through her because of it. So you're in for a treat. How is it they can contact you, Gemma? Um, so you can drop me an email. You can uh, My email address, everything's on the website. So it's guidinglight.guru. 
And then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram as well. Gemma Lonsdale Guru is my Facebook and my Instagram handles. So I have this thing in my head telling me, ask Gemma to give you her thoughts. So Gemma, give you me your thoughts that you got a message for me because it told me to ask you. Oh! I don't care what it's about. It could be one word. <laughs> I would just be saying to you just to continue what you're doing and spreading the good word. Like you have like this amazing light that you shine. And I feel like you, you must be a really, really intuitive person yourself. And I don't know if you are always aware of actually how intuitive you are, but just keep, keep shining your light because it makes such a difference to everybody. I think whenever you can stand in like your truth or highlight somebody that is had a struggle themselves it can give other people such solace really to know that actually it's possible to come out the other end you know the other end of whatever I'm going through so true so true that that is the purpose of these heart talks they look like they're just another interview and I'm not just into other interviews I'm into connecting to people who truly have experienced things in their lives they're the ones that are drawn to me uh, I'm drawn to them. There's always a very similar story. Both of my sisters had cancer. One of the sisters died. One of them has had a mastectomy twice. I'm, there's always a thread where I am connected to people mm. for a purpose and a reason. Mm-hmm. And Gemma, you have been an amazing guest. I am so happy to have connected with you. I really hope you've enjoyed the interview as much as I have. I have. I've loved it. Thank you so much for having me. No, my absolute pleasure.